When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time. I'm Nick Keating. I'm joined today by Kieran King of the Daily Mirror to look back on another busy weekend of Premier League action. Kieran is always always plenty of talking points on the weekend but I suppose we can't really start anywhere else other than the title race Arsenal for the second consecutive weekend in a row throwing away a two goal lead as a Tottenham fan I'll try and hide my smile a little bit there but for Arsenal in the title race so much has been said Kieran this season uh, and, and especially on this show about Arsenal showing a, a different side of mental resilience and this idea of being a soft underbelly team and Kind of, you know, that, that old cliche of Patrick Safer calling them babies and stuff. They seem to have shaken that all away and gotten rid of it. And here we are, we're talking about back-to-back games in which they've chucked away two goal leads and they've allowed Manchester City right back into this title race. Now, are we starting to see a mental fragility emerging in this Arsenal team at exactly the wrong stage in the season for where they are trying to achieve the goal of winning the Premier League title? Well, first of all, I think obviously... So you were sort of similar patterns to what we saw last week at Anfield. I mean, they were excellent. Arsenal were for the first 15 or 20 minutes yesterday. I mean, they could have been two or three. I mean, they were two in the up. They could be three or four in the up. It was scintillating at times. They were cutting through a deep block of West Ham, like, you know, so easy. Um, and you just felt like Arsenal needed that third goal. It felt like they needed the third, the fourth, you know, to feel comfortable. Because you always knew West Ham were going to have a spell of pressure. And they were going to have, you're going to, they're going to be on top for a certain, you know, bit of time. And obviously, you know, West Ham found the goals sort of just before half time, similarly to Anfield last week. And you felt the second half would be sort of all West Ham or sort of more West Ham pressure. But Arsenal sort of came out in the second half and sort of trying to get a third goal. And obviously, they had that perfect chance, didn't they, from the penalty spot where sort of Bukayo Saka missed. And you felt as soon as you missed that penalty, you thought West Ham were going to score. It was sort of written in the stars and obviously they did score. And just like Arsenal just lacked, 
you know, a bit of mental, you know, maybe, maybe you say mental fatigue, you know, they've had to come back from deficits. I remember the game against Aston Villa where they had to come back from 2-1 down to, to win. You felt like, they could, can they do that again? But, you know, whether it's, you know, mental fragility, whether it is that, I don't know, but I expect them to beat Southampton on Friday quite comfortably. I think Southampton had a poor season. Um, Arsenal at home have been very good. Um, and I just fancy Arsenal to win sort of at the Emirates um, on Friday night, which will obviously extend the gap to seven points. And Man City two games in hand. So obviously, you know, the, the Tartar race is still wide open in the balance, but I still fancy Arsenal to beat Southampton and obviously heading into that big game at the Etihad next Wednesday. Yeah, I suppose if Arsenal don't get the better of Southampton this weekend, all things considered against the bottom of the table side at home, that's probably when the alarm bells really, really do start ringing if they if they can't get three points on Friday. On the flip side of that, though, of course, Arsenal slipping up, and as we said, that's invited Manchester City to really, really pile the pressure on in the title race. Uh, another brilliant win for them at the weekend at home to Leicester. Erling Haaland, another, well, record's not falling yet, but it's going to come uh, surely before the end of the season. Time, my Salah's record for uh, most goals in a 38-game Premier League season. We probably all expected Erden Haaland to, to do well in England. You know, we kind of watched him from afar in, in Germany and we kind of saw his game. We kind of thought, yeah, he's he's a kind of player that would do well in, in the English game. But are you surprised, Kieran, at how quickly he has taken? Um, you know, I, I know for one, um, and I think I've said this a few times on the, on the shows this season, that I was there for the, uh, for the opening game at West Ham um, and I was kind of, I, I was a little bit, not stunned, but I came away kind of underwhelmed by him in that he still scored two goals in that game. But he's kind of, you can look at him and you see that there's still so much more to come. And Pep Guardiola said it a few times this season that there is still more to come from him. And yet here we are, we're talking about a bloke who has already broken or, or sorry, tied the record for most goals in a 38 game season. Still has time to add to that, obviously break that record probably uh, before the end of the campaign. He has taken well to England, but there's still that little bit more that there is to come from it. And that's probably the worrying thing for every other team in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been very surprised. Obviously, his goal record speaks for himself during his time at Borussia Dortmund, but I sort of didn't expect him to sort of hit the ground running as well as he's done, like say, 32 Premier League goals already. That is, you know, really outstanding. I think he said he played, what, 30, 29, 30 games, I think. It's, you know, Absolutely outstanding. And, and obviously I watched the sort of the, the game in the Community Shield where a lot of people sort of writing him off already, which, you know, surprised me. Sporting obviously missed that chance right at the end. I think Wade ballooned it over the crossbar for a rebound and everyone was like, you know, hurling Carlin who sort of thing. Um, and obviously in that game, Darwin Nunez scored as well for Liverpool and obviously the two big money signings going against each other. Um, and it's safe to say, sort of, one has been a lot more successful than the other so far this season. Um, you know, that's not to say sort of Darwin can't sort of build on a first season. So yeah, he has shown sort of signs of improvement, and you can tell there's a decent player in there. But I just don't think he has that cutting edge to what Harlan has shown so far. I think, you know, he's just one of them strikers that he's, he's, he's cliche, but he only needs one chance to score. You know, you might not see him for 60 minutes, but he only needs one chance and he score. You know, it's similar to a lot of other strikers. They might, you know, not see the ball sort of once, sort of every 30 minutes. But when they see the ball, it's in the right areas, you know, penalty area players. And and I just think Harlan's just got that in abundance. And, he, you know, he just takes every chance. You know, he just missed chances. You know, every striker does. There was one against Forrest a couple of weeks ago where and he, he missed from like two, three yards. 
And everyone was sort of saying Erden Haaland's in sort of this drought, but now he's come out of it. He's also scored a brace against Southampton, a brace against Leicester. Yeah, they are the bottom two sides in the division, but at the end of the day, you can only sort of score who you come up against. You know, you can, you know, you can only sort of perform and, and it's scary, really. He was bought off at half time at the weekend. You know, he was bought off. He was on two goals and a hat trick. You know, so and Man City sort of dropped off as soon as they sort of bought him off and bought a couple of other players off. So if he, you know, if Pep could play him in every single minute, it's scary to think how many goals he would score. The same against Southampton. I think he was bought off in sort of the 70th minute, you know, on a hat trick. And I would have fancied him to score another goal against sort of confident, shy sort of Southampton side again against Leicester. So, you know, he's obviously saving him for the game against Bayern Munich, but I'm very surprised sort of how he's taken to the league. But at the end of the day, to him. He's been, he's been terrific. And, you know, some of the goals he scores, you know, right foot, left foot header, you know, it's, it's ridiculous and, and fair play to him. Switching from the blue half of Manchester to the red half now, Manchester United, and we spoke about Arsenal showing perhaps, you know, maybe a, a bit of mental fragility in their last couple of games, but Manchester United showing some some level of resilience, I'd say, uh, in, in the win at Forest, um, responding after throwing the two-goal lead away in the Europa League against Sevilla on, on Thursday night. Forest has proved to be a tough ground for many teams this season. You know, you look at some of the bigger sides and, and they've all, you know, they might have come away with wins, but they've not come away with wins in, in easy fashion as well. It has been a, a difficult place to go for sure. Crowd behind them, everything else. It, it looked like it would have been a tough game for United on paper, given what went on on Thursday night and a, and a big test for them. But they, they came through it in flying colours and have really put themselves in pole position again to, to finish in the top four. Yeah, I mean, it was a terrific performance from Manchester United. I thought they you know, really dominated from the off, dominated possession, created chances. And, you know, they could have scored once or twice before they actually, you know, took the lead. I think Jaden Sancho missed, you know, that double chance where Sancho missed, uh, got blocked actually. Um, and I thought it was a really dominant display from from United. And I think they thoroughly deserved the three points. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the city ground is a tough place to go this year. I always sort of fancy Nottingham Forest to get something at home. You know, with that home crowd, you know, traditionally it is a very good atmosphere. You know, they took points off Liverpool, Manchester City this season, Brentford, obviously they're up there. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously they beat Tottenham in the Carabao Cup as well. And, you know, away from home, a lot has been said about Forest away form. Obviously it's pretty terrible. I think they've only scored sort of four or five goals away from home in the Premier League, which is not very good. But at home, they're a different proposition. Um, and I thought that could be it potentially tough game for Man United, obviously with sort of Lissandro Martinez and Varane out um, on sort of the troubles there. I thought it could potentially be a really tough game, but they sort of came through it. Keen sheet, Maguire. I thought Maguire was terrific. I thought he had a really good performance. You know, he was really good. Um, sort of didn't give Forrest too many chances on the break, especially obviously the pace of Brennan Johnson and, and Morgan Gibbs-White. But you know, Man United has so many chances in that second half. I think Ten Hag at one point was probably thinking, you know, is it going to be one of them days, one nil up? You know, Forrest going to get one of them chances. Similar against Man City, actually, Forrest. Man City dominated the game. They accumulated over four expected goals. Couldn't get that second goal and Chris Wood scores at the end. I thought that could be potentially the same outcome, but once that second goal went in, you, you there's only one outcome. I think United dominated the game, I thought. Um, and it was a really convincing performance. It really puts them in a good stage for the top four race now. Or seems back into third place, and I think they'll, I think they'll finish in the top four now. In terms of that top four battle, 
Aston Villa obviously beating Newcastle at the weekend as well. Great performance for them, um, not least because I was watching it with a Newcastle United fan. So to see him get quite upset was was uh, slightly enjoyable. Whilst I may or may not have been hungover, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but then I was a little bit miserable later on that afternoon when Tottenham lost as well. The hangover seemed to get worse when, when Tottenham lost as well. Again, here or there, whether or not I had a hangover. But in terms of that battle for the other four spot, Newcastle there in a the minute, Tottenham three points back, Aston Villa a little bit further back again, six points behind Newcastle. But they are the form side in the league at the minute, Aston Villa. Unai Emery is doing a terrific job there this season since he's taken over from Steven Gerrard to take him from, you know, possibly being involved in that relegation fight to now looking at Europe, potentially even the Champions League as well. Is there just a little bit too much ground for Villa to make up? Like six points to Newcastle, as I said, they're in the top four. The games are ticking down between now and the end of the season. Form and momentum might be behind them, but it just feels like there might just be a little bit too much work for them to do, doesn't it? Aston Villa have got a little bit too much to do to finish in the top four, in my opinion. I think there's a very good chance of them finishing in fifth or sixth, but I just think Newcastle with the games in hand, Manchester United with the games in hand and the way they're playing, I just don't see Aston Villa finishing in, in the top four this season. That shouldn't discount how well they played against Newcastle. I think that's the best. I think I spoke to a mate on Saturday afternoon who's an Aston Villa fan. I said, that's the best I've seen Villa play in years. I think they were terrific. I mean, Newcastle were very poor. They made it easy for Villa at times, but I just thought the way the way Villa pressed from the front, Ollie Watkins, you know, he's in terrific form. And I think it would be, you know, it would be a shambles if if sort of Gareth Southgate doesn't call him up to this sort of, you know, summer camp for, for England. I think, you know, two goals at the weekend, one marginally offside uh, offside goal, you know, he's just a threat. He got an assist as well. He's, he's just a threat for defences. His pace is, you know, Newcastle have been one of the best defences this season, especially away from home. And I think, you know, Ollie Watkins was, was, was running behind the back line. He was causing them problems. And I think, you know, I think Villa are in terrific form, but I just, you know, I just don't think they'll finish in the top four. I think European places is is definitely, you know, a real possibility. And the way, you know, sorry, Ned, that Spurs are playing right now. And all, I can see you know, there's three points between the two teams and, and they have to play to Villa Park, you know, behind the atmosphere. I can I can see Villa, you know, overtaking overtaking Tottenham in the race for sort of a European place. So um you know, I think Villa have been superb. I think the way they play, you know, the press and the system. I think Unai Emery's done a terrific job. And I was at the sort of the Leicester Villa game, and that was probably one of Villa's worst performances, sort of in that run. Well, they still managed to get three points. That's the main thing: results, not performances. At this stage of the season, after the performance comes with it. But I think when you're chasing European spaces, I think all you need is a result. And I think Villa are getting that at the minute. And you know, across the back four, I think Tyrone Mings has been you know, phenomenal. You know, a lot of people were writing him off and everywhere across the team, John McGinn, Jacob Ramsey, you know, I could go through one to 11, even Ashley Young, like I criticised him for the goal sort of and Leicester scored a couple of weeks ago, the way he let Harvey Barnes sort of run in behind, but he didn't let, he didn't let Anthony Gordon do anything at the, at the weekend. You know, it was a terrific performance from him and Villa and I can only see, you know, it's, it's all good from, from that side. So as we said there, Villa pulled themselves away from a relegation battle after uh, hiring Unai Emery to replace Steven Gerrard. But there are plenty of teams still involved in the fight down near the bottom of the table. Kieran, I think when we returned from the international break, there was talk about nine teams from 12 downwards being involved in that scrap. 
Are we now down to six? Are we looking at Crystal Palace being safe? Wolves and Bournemouth probably being one win perhaps away from being safe now as well. Are we looking to, to six realistically being involved in that fight? I think for me personally, there's five. I think five um, for me are in the battle uh, to sort of, you know, to stay up. Um, I think obviously Southampton on 23 points. I think it would take sort of a minor miracle, you know, although they're they're sort of still in the mix. I think it would take a minor miracle for Southampton to stay up. Um, obviously moved to 19th and Leicester. I mean, Leicester have been so, so poor for the vast majority of this season. But, you know, a lot of people are saying, are they too good to go down? Um, I don't think so. I don't think they're too good. I think they're very, you know, they're very confident shy at the moment. The way they conceded the goals, although sort of if you break it down, sort of the penalty, the long range strike from John Stones, and they showed character in the second half did Leicester. But I just can't see where the wins are going to come from in the next sort of seven matches. I think they are really banging trouble. Although Dean Smith has sort of brought a little bit more confidence to Leicester fans, I still think Leicester, you know, are probably going to go down as well as Southampton. Then you look at the last spot. 18th, Nottingham Forest, 27 points. Everton, 17th, 27 points. Leeds, 15th, 29 points. I think for me, it's between them three teams for that final spot. Um, Although I would not be surprised, say, if Leicester sort of, you know, string a few good wins together um, in their next couple of matches against Wolves, Leeds and Everton um, with the new manager. Uh, Because Leicester have got the players, you know, James Madison, Harley Barnes when he's fit. You know, Kalecci and Nacho, superb, another goal at the weekend. But for me, Nottingham Forest, you know, if they can, they've got the toughest fixture run, I think, out of the teams sort of down there. Um, they've got Liverpool away next. They've got Brighton at home. They've got Southampton at home, which is the big one. I think that's the big one. I think they've got to get three points. I think both teams have got to get three points from that fixture alone if they want to stay up. Um, but I just think... The bottom three as it is, is probably going to stay how it is. Obviously, I wouldn't be surprised if Leicester and Forest so overtake Leeds and Everton, um, especially because I felt that was a big, big defeat for Everton at the weekend. Fulham, uh, you know, have arguably been sort of the sort of the out of form team in the Premier League. I think what five defeats in a row before the game against Everton, and I just felt that I had a home win all over it. But fair play to Fulham and Marco Silva. He sort of changed his tactics. Um, you know, slightly, um, which was which was terrific, really, and 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 they managed to sort of win, sort of comfortably at, at Goodison Park. So, you know, I think it's between them five. If I was sort of you know to go for it now, I'd say the bottom three stairs is, but you know, you never know what might might happen. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Moving on to the Champions League now, the return uh, legs of the quarterfinal ties taking place this week. Um, first up, Chelsea against Real Madrid on Tuesday night, Kieran. And in terms of Chelsea, uh, didn't really want to go on to them too much about the Premier League, but I suppose we kind of have to talk about their Premier League form and, and everything that's happened. I'm not sure if you saw the statistic at the weekend, but came out that no Premier League team has won fewer games than Chelsea since October 16th. We can talk about Frank Lampard, we can talk about Graham Potter, we can talk about everything else going on at Chelsea, but looking ahead past this game against Real Madrid into the summer, whoever comes into that club has got a hell of a job on their hands, a hell of a job on their hands to change around the mentality in this squad of a team that has now, despite all the money that's been chucked at it, has won fewer games than Southampton and other teams down near the bottom who haven't chucked as much money at it. There is a big mentality issue at play here for Chelsea and there is a big, big rebuild, not in terms of players and bringing in new players in the, in the summer, but in terms of the confidence and what that squad believe that they can achieve come the summer for whoever ends up taking that job. Yeah, I think I think, uh, I think whoever comes into that job has got a massive, massive task on its hands to sort of, you know, find which players are sort of Chelsea sort of players and which players need to move on. I think there needs to be a massive sort of job in the summer for whoever comes in. And I think Top Early must name that person as soon as possible. Like Manchester United did with Eric Ten Hag last year. They named him sort of end of April, start of May. Um, and it sort of gave him a lot of time to sort of re- re- sort of think who he wants in his team, who he doesn't want, who he wants in. And you can see there's been noticeable improvements from, from Manchester United this season. They've been, you know, a lot better than what they were last season. Although... I, uh, you know, Chelsea's situation is a lot worse than what Man United were in this time last year. I still think there is similarities between, you know, the way Chelsea are going to appoint a manager and sort of, you know, Manchester United had an interim manager sort of towards the end of last season. Yes, it was for longer with Ranić coming in December, Lampard coming in April. But I sort of see similarities with that sort of the two projects where I just think somebody needs to come in at Chelsea and, and just their style of play fit who they want in and that's it because I feel like chopping and changing managers is okay but if the stars of the player are different the players are going to have to get used to it and you haven't got with Chelsea in the Champions League as well you haven't got the time to sort of get used to the tactics and get used to the different styles of play so I think for me um, you know they've, they've got so many players they've got so many good players it's just I still think Chelsea are lacking a number nine you know a natural number nine a goal scorer like I think, I think it was Christian Pulisic that played in the number nine role at the weekend, um, and then sort of flittering between him and Sterling, and they're not, you know, they're 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 good players, 
But I don't think their natural number nine is like you look at the top teams of this country have all got a natural number nine, you know, this year, especially, you know, Man City have done it with, with a false nine, but they've got Haaland now. You know, Arsenal have got sort of Jesus. They, they complain that you don't see Chelsea have a natural number nine that sort of can play in that position. Obviously, is sort of injured for the rest of the season. Obviously, he did it in December, but, you know, I just think there's a you know a lot of work going on at Chelsea and I just can't see them sort of progressing past Real Madrid. I think two goals is is sort of, especially with Ben Chilwell suspended as well. I just can't see them sort of beating sort of Real Madrid um, tomorrow night. And I just think there's a lot of work to do at Chelsea. And, and, and I just felt, you know, normally you think Chelsea against Brighton, you think Chelsea, you know, got a win all over it. But this season, Brighton have been superb. And on Saturday, even Brighton dominated the game. And I just felt like, uh, there's a lot of work for Chelsea. Mentioned it about Chelsea not spotting their way past Real Madrid in the Champions League. I think even the most optimistic of Chelsea fans will join you in that assessment there, that their hopes of progressing are, are slim at best. But what is the best that Chelsea can hope for against Real Madrid in this second leg? As you said, they're 2-0 down from the first leg. It's not looking good for them in the Premier League either in terms of their form. At least they scored a goal at the weekend against Brighton where it's something to celebrate. But what can Chelsea realistically... What's the best that they can realistically achieve against Real Madrid? And I'm sorry to say this, like I'm sounding unprofessional and smiling and laughing there, but it, it does seem tough. There, there is, you know, miracles happen and they absolutely need a miracle if they are to progress past Real Madrid tomorrow night. I think you've just mentioned it there, scoring the goal. Obviously, they scored a goal against Brighton, but their goal-scoring record is, you know, I think the last time they scored three in a game was actually against Leicester in, uh, in March. And also, they need to score three goals against Real Madrid, obviously, uh, to stand any chance of qualifying. Also, they need to keep the ball out of there as well, sort of go through. And also, they can take it sort of extra time and penalties if they sort of do a 3-1 scoreline, as they did at the King Power sort of in March, the last time they scored three in a game. Um, but I just, for me, I just can't see them sort of beating Real Madrid. I just think Real Madrid have got something in this competition that, I don't think any other team has in terms of the, the sparkle and, and the magic of sort of getting over the line as they did against City last season in the semi-finals. And I just, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Chelsea win the game tomorrow night. Uh, just a bit of fight, Stamford Stanford Bridge atmosphere, but I just can't see them going through in the, in, in the tie. Um, there's no doubt, you know, miracles have happened. You know, and, and these things have happened before, but I just can't see them... I can't see them beating Real Madrid. I mean, last week, I just, you know, although it was only 2 0, I thought Real Madrid did it really come out of second gear. So, you know, obviously, speaking as sort of a, you know, Premier League fan, it would be nice if Chelsea could go through, but I just can't see there being a possibility where they will. But miracles have happened. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure if we're proved wrong, Chelsea fans will be quick to be in on notifications come Wednesday morning telling us and, and reminding us of these quotes then. Um, the other English team in the quarterfinals, it's a, a massively different story for them. Obviously, Manchester City holding a 3-0 advantage from the first leg against Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich look like they're tearing themselves apart from the inside. Obviously, the, the, the reported bust-up between Leroy Sané and, and Sadio Mane last week. Drawing uh, against Hoffenheim, a struggling Hoffenheim side, I must say, as well, in the Bundesliga at the weekend. For Manchester City, a team that's losing confidence right now, I suppose that the biggest fear that they've probably got going into this game is is guarding against complacency, really, isn't it? You know, everyone would say, and and it would be hard for the the players to kind of ignore this, that the job is is 
probably more than 75% done here for Manchester City. Again, much like Chelsea need a miracle against Real Madrid, Bayern Munich need a, a miracle against Manchester City. They're a professional side, they're a professional outfit. That's probably the only thing that they've got to worry about in this game, isn't it? Guarding against complacency and making sure that they do remain professional, get the job done and and continue using the confidence, as I say. I think that's the, again, complacency is probably the big word sort of them going to the Alliance on uh, on Wednesday night. I think they've pretty much got this, t- this tie sort of sewn up, but uh, Bayern Munich still have terrific players. Obviously, they're not, they've not been as good this season. Um, and it feels like the manager change has sort of uh, not been as successful as, as may, they might have sort of thought. Uh, we've, we've obviously Thomas Tuchel coming in. Obviously, he hasn't had that much time to sort of work with his players. But, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me again if Bayern win the, win the game on Wednesday night. Um, but again, it'd be very surprising if, if sort of City managed to sort of uh, throw it away. Um, but it'll be interested to see what lineup sort of Guardiola goes for uh, on Wednesday night. Obviously, they've got the quick turnaround for the FA Cup semi final against Sheffield United. And you would have thought, you know, Sheffield United without Tommy Doyle and James McAtee on Saturday that, that City should have sort of no problem sort of beating them. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what lineup, whether Haaland is sort of risked. Due to his sort of record against Bayern Munich and his history against them, I could see him playing again. But it'd be interesting to see if the likes of Jack Grealish, who has played a lot of football recently, for someone who who has suffered with injuries, be interested to see if he is risked. The Bruin is risked. Um, but I can see the likes of sort of Julian Alvarez playing, you know, whether that be on the wide right, wide left, in the number 10 role, or or sort of alongside Haaland or on his own uh, um, on Wednesday night. So um, I just think it'd be interesting to see the team selection. I think that'll be the big thing for me on Wednesday night, sort of with the Arsenal game, sort of the, within the seven-day period of the Bayern Munich and the Sheffield United game. So I can see players being rested in both the Sheffield United and the Bayern Munich game ahead of that Arsenal game. Finally, before we go this morning, West Ham fans, unfortunately, we're not going to delve into the second leg of your Europa Conference League game uh, too much. Um, but of course, that that's kind of evenly poised and, and hopefully West Ham do progress past again uh, later on this week. But on Thursday night as well, we've got Manchester United's second leg of their match against Sevilla. We spoke about it at the start, throwing away two-goal lead, end up being 2-2 at Old Trafford. So there's still plenty of work for United to do to get through to the semi-finals. But I suppose having proven a bit of a point against Nothing Forest at the weekend and having responded in the style that Eric Ten Hag would have wanted them to, that's the positive that they have to try to build on now going to Sevilla to try and, you know, a point to prove. We were there. We were within touch and distance of of having a massive, massive hole on this tie. Let's not let it slip in the second leg. Go there, finish the job off that they started so well in the first leg and, and just unfortunately couldn't see through. That's that's the task at hand for Man United here. It's a shame, really, because I thought, you know, although Sevilla scored those two late goals, I felt United controlled the game and had the chances to sort of put the tie to bed. I think there was one in the second half where Veghorst squared the ball across to Malassia. And if he'd only just squared it across to Alanga instead, it would have almost certainly been sort of 3-0 game over, tie over. You would have fought anyway. Um, But you felt chances like that give the opposition a chance to sort of come back into the game. Uh, And Sophia did that. I mean, the first goal is, is very unfortunate. Um, from first glance, I felt that De Gea should have done better. 
it's near post, but the, the ball spins off the defender and, and obviously hits him and goes in the near post. So um, then it gives them a lift. And obviously, again, the second goal was so unfortunate. A lot of people are slamming Harry Maguire, but he could not do too much about that. Like the ball literally just hits him and sort of deflects past De Gea. So I think both goals were sort of unfortunate from United's perspective. Um, but you felt that Sevilla would score that second goal as soon as he scored the first. The pressure was building. Um, but regarding Thursday's game, I could only see sort of uh, one outcome again. I just think Sevilla, uh, you know, are not the Sevilla side that was sort of four or five years ago, uh, where they were sort of competing, you know, even three years ago when they won the Europa League. Um, but they've still got sort of talented individual players. So like Enesiri, who who obviously helped Morocco to the semifinals of the, the World Cup. Bono in goal, who, who again is a terrific goalkeeper. I wouldn't be surprised if he's linked, you know, not, you know, linked with a Premier League move this summer. Um, so, you know, Sevilla have got individual players, but I just think if Man United produced the performance against Forest, I don't see any problems of them not progressing to the, uh, to the semi-finals of the Europa League. Kieran, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time as always. Uh, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the uh, European matches this week so across the Champions League, Europa League and Europa Conference League uh, across the Mirror, Daily Star and Daily Sport websites. But for now, it's goodbye. <laughs>